What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 150. I feel like we need a cake or something. It's a, it's a nice round number. Episode 150, we've made it this far. We haven't gone under yet. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this 150th episode? And also, just glad that we don't have to go to DFW this weekend. Yeah, it's always nice when you don't have to drive down to Dallas-Fort Worth again and again and again. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about episode 150. I think we've, uh, we've put out a good product. People are, the, the podcast is popular, both the downloads and the video. Uh, people seem to be enjoying it. We've got a lot of comments. Uh, rate, subscribe, and share. Mash that like button, all that good stuff. So uh, we appreciate uh, all the listeners, and you guys helped us get here. So, yeah, happy 150. Yeah, absolutely, and, and good news for you, Hoove, is, uh, or bad news for those listening. Either way, I don't think we'll have to go to DFW again this year for football. So uh, that's where we're True. at, but we're happy, good, bad, ugly, pretty, whatever, uh, to be here talking some Oklahoma athletics, Oklahoma football. Yeah, no, I, you know, you never know, I guess. But yeah, it doesn't look likely that we'll be making that third trip down there. Um, that was a given for so long. And uh, cheers go. Still feel like Lincoln Riley saying it's their second home. Pretty much put the hex on them forever because uh, they haven't been able to get back there since he said that pretty much. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, cool that we got to 150. Nice round number. I don't know. I need to do the math on when 200 will land. It feels like it's going to land somewhere just in the middle of like next summer or something like just totally barren wasteland. So I have to plan some some extravagant um, down memory lane, worst takes stuff, something, <laughs> something good for episode 200. I think we're living, we're mired in the current worst take, which is OU's going to go undefeated this year. Way to go, Josh. Well, we, hey. can, we can put that right up next to North Carolina college football playoff and then <laughs> cut to game one, week one last year. North Carolina down. <laughs> <laughs> And who picked Nebraska to be OU, and they lost by 30-plus. And this <laughs> OU team stinks. That makes it even worse. That's a good one. Uh, remember, that was a preseason, that was a preseason pick. Uh, I amended that the week of the game to <laughs> OU's going to win. So. <laughs> also, uh, that Oklahoma um, baseball would finish last in the yeah. SEC. I guess we have to put that in the – it doesn't have to go in the bad take Hall of Fame. It just has to go somewhere. We're glad they're listening. Whoever's uh, whoever's listening, uh, whether it be Skip Johnson or uh, some some of his uh, coworkers, uh, we're glad that uh, everybody in Norman is enjoying our podcast. Yeah, no, I, hey, anyway, you want if you get whether you're getting angry or you're loving it, you're still watching. So we appreciate it. Uh, either way, um, again, yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks to everybody who watches and subscribes and all that good stuff. The post game show was. Uh, Got a lot of interactions. That's cool. Uh, at the Cotton Bowl, people were, were searching for answers. We don't necessarily have them, but we can speculate and uh, talk about it a little bit. And that's where we'll start, um, like we always do on these on these midweek shows, putting the fishing touches on the last game. Um, you know, we talked about it at length after the game, uh, obviously. And I'll just reiterate my point real quick. Or I'll turn it over to you guys. That game was awful. But it doesn't mean anything to me that much in the grand scheme of things just because Oklahoma is so different with Dylan Gabriel. Like, it really – like, if, if – the offense is so inept without him that you go into that game with essentially no shot. Um, so, 
you know, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me what happened on Saturday. I mean, yeah, it's historic and all that stuff. And we talked about at length all the issues and the defense has got major problems. And why didn't they do – why didn't they try another quarterback? All that stuff that we talked about on Saturday. That's all still valid, of course. But it doesn't mean much to me going into, like, say, this weekend if Dylan Gabriel's back, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So I don't know if – you know, peeling away from it, it's, it's crazy how bad it was. But it continues to kind of be like that's not really what OU is this year because they're a different team when Gabriel plays. That's obvious. Who's got the better uh, quarterback subterfuge going on right now? Is it Kansas with Jalen Daniels out for the season? Oh, no, I can do this with my shoulders. Or is it uh, Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel? He's ready to play. He's cleared. Oh, I'm still in concussion protocol. Uh, Both of those are going back and forth. I guess I was going to say, I guess we'll know on Thursday if uh, Dylan Gabriel's playing. But don't kid yourself. We're not going to know on Thursday. We might not know on Saturday before 11.07 a.m. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't be expecting a uh, anything like that, and I wouldn't uh, read too much into whatever's put on Oklahoma social media or anything like that because, uh, guys, I think that they're aware, and I think that's tactical. I don't think that was by accident. So mm-hmm. um, we'll all be waiting. It feels like everything's trending that way. It's been a night and day as far as the last week it was immediate we're not talking injuries and this week from Brent Venables uh you know recorded coaches show that that airs on ESPN plus with Dean Blevins where he had told Dean Blevins that he expects him back to Tuesday it was pretty transparent if he's a full go at practice expect him back all that all that stuff it just feels different but concussions are weird I just think the the thing you spin out of Saturday is the the much larger backdrop of how far does this program have to go on the recruiting trail as far as how many years they have to stack stuff to, to rebuild that depth. Because um, clearly the hit or miss of the portal is not enough to paper over that many holes. But then the biggest thing is regardless of what the offense was doing, the, the defense is still generating no pressure up front. Absolutely none. And, and Oklahoma is going to have to figure out a way to fix that because otherwise, guys, right now they're allowing 310 rushing yards a game in Big 12 play. 310 rushing yards yeah, a game in Big yeah. 12 play. Kansas is a top 20 rushing offense coming in. Uh, Oklahoma State's going to run all over them. Baylor with that front, going to run all over them. Texas Tech has shown that they can go three quarterbacks deep and light people up. Like Oklahoma's got to fix that, or, or the rest of this season's going to continue the way that it has the last three weeks. Yeah, a lot of problems a lot of symptoms come out of that texas game um and that's certainly one of them uh, another one is uh you know not being able to cover uh receivers consistently uh not being able to generate pressure on the quarterback uh worth anything i think if these things start coming together you'll start to see you know it, it doesn't have to be like the best coverage in the history of football for this thing to get better has to be a little bit better coverage. It has to be a little bit better pressure on the quarterback. These things start coming together. They start playing complimentary yeah. football. I know the fan base right now is sick of that term, but you're seeing a great example of it Saturday in the Cotton Bowl when Oklahoma's moving the football uh, in the Wildcat formation. You know, it's a junked up high school offense. Nobody wants to have to run that, but that's what they had to resort to to be able to move the football. They did generated first downs, move the chains got into the red zone and what happens uh, we've talked about it you know Jeff Levy puts uh, puts Dylan uh, Davis bevel back in and uh, the offense goes sideways next next drive what happens Oklahoma has an interception in their hands they don't get it they go down and score 90 yard touchdown drive if those two things happen like they're supposed to meaning if Oklahoma cashes in on that first drive and then gets the interception 
we're not looking at 49 to nothing. Brent Venable said that in his press conference. We said it uh, in the post-game blog, uh, the post-game, uh, the post-game video that we did, the post-game podcast that we did. Any one of those two things come together and you pull them both off and, you know, they probably still lose the game. Don't make any mistake. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, they were one or two plays away. They were one or two plays away in the first half from being competitive. And Brent said it. It might have been 21-14 at halftime. If it's 21-14 at halftime, you go into the second half, you have a different mindset. You know, obviously they were down big. So put those two things together. A couple of other things happen in their favor. Maybe one guy makes a play where he's supposed to. Maybe they start getting a little confidence. Um, we might not be talking about 49 to nothing. We're, I still think we're talking about a Texas loss, don't get me wrong, and probably a decisive loss to Texas, I should say, uh, but not 49 nothing. And that's what's haunting this program right now is the inability across the board of anybody to deliver a game-changing play. One person at one point in one game needs to happen, and it hasn't happened the past two weeks. Well, past three weeks, too. It, it seems like uh... – so after the Texas game, Brent Venables said essentially that it feels like they have to play perfect football right now. Um, Tuesday, he said that this is a team that just hasn't been able to find any kind of rhythm. And it goes back to Kansas State, right? Every time that Oklahoma sputtered on offense, it felt like the Wildcats are up. That's how you get up 14-0. They finally come roaring back, tie it 14-14. And then what happens? Your kick coverage team springs a leak. And Malik Knowles and, and Kansas State takes all the momentum back. In Fort Worth, it was... Uh, bad offensive drive, and then the defense just tackles three people uh, for pass interferences. It's exaggeration, but that's what it felt like. And then from there, Dylan Gabriel's missing passes left, right, and center. And then he exits the game, and it feels like there is no hope. Like This is a team that they've played the exact opposite of complementary football. Like Every time something bad right. happens on one side of the ball, the other side of the ball matches that and compounds, and it snowballs then it's just rolling down a hill and, and uh, there's no breaks to stop that thing. Like Ryan referenced, Brent Venables painted a relatively rosy picture for Dylan Gabriel coming back this week. Mentioned on his coach show that he expects him back. Um, he was asked yesterday, of course, about Gabriel's status. And he said he's still in the protocol by his understanding. He's like, I don't really want to get into the weeds of that. I don't try to, um, but that he feels like if he can stay out of harm's way this week, he should be back. We also got to talk to Dylan on Monday, which is seemingly a pretty good indicator that he'll be back. Um, you know, he seemed to, he he said he was a full go at practice. Brent said that yesterday. Um, Dylan said he was feeling good. So I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be back uh, this weekend against the Jayhawks. I was going to ask you guys two parter a, um, does he just step right in and fix the offense, essentially? Does the offense find its groove again? Now, I know there was issues before he was missing passes, but can we expect them to get back into the 30s and the 40s this weekend if Gabriel's back? And then the second part, should he be playing? Because I, I know like he feels good and <clears throat> you know all that stuff, and he warmed up last week. But I actually saw, thought it was interesting. I don't know if you guys saw it all, but Jeremiah Hall, former mm -hmm. Sooner, of course, was on Twitter saying he was pretty vocal. He felt like Dylan Gabriel shouldn't be playing. He's being coming back too quickly. He said he got to sit at least two weeks after a concussion like he had in Fort Worth. That conversation hasn't really been had. And yeah. That was an interesting thing to bring up. Um, so, yeah, two-parter. Does he fix things? And B, are you surprised that he's probably going to play? I'm surprised that he's probably going to play. I'm surprised that he's back at practice uh, basically eight days after a concussion. Um you know, went through all the warmups and stuff on Saturday. So seven days after a concussion, right? right? 
I'm a little surprised that, uh, and you can't say to wait two weeks and then you'll be fine with concussions. It's there's an endless innumerable grade, uh, number of grades that you can give a concussion. You know, are you ready? Are you almost ready? Are you there? You know, it's, it's you really literally can't count the number of ways that you can be ready or not ready for, from coming back from a concussion. So I, Listen, this is going to be a non-story. If he comes out there, throws the football all over the yard, 350 yards, four touchdowns, they win. It's a non-story. First time he scrambles around, first time he gets blindsided, first time he takes a hit, first time he goes down, first time somebody falls really big, falls on top of him. Uh, and, and if it happens and he gets concussed again, then it becomes goes from being a non-story, you know, like, woo, we avoided that one kind of thing to, oh boy, here comes, uh, yeah. you know, ESPN outside the lines and here comes Tom Rinaldi and here, you know what I mean? All it's going to be a national story. Why did they play him? He wasn't ready. He was only two weeks removed from a concussion. It's, it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to, there's going to be criticism. They're opening th- themselves up to the, the largest possible degree of criticism. And that is putting a player's health at risk, uh, by doing this. And guys, all he's got to do is get hit once. First concussion yeah. opens the door for a second concussion. My daughter's sitting in the room behind me right now. Her first concussion happened in college soccer, and it was like, oh, wow, didn't expect that. Back out there a few days later, a few weeks later, whatever the, whatever the timetable was, boom, another concussion happened like that. Like, where the heck did that second one come from? Well, it's happened because the first one happened. Uh, you leave yourself open to more damage. The first, The first concussion you have, it's like a – Ask Dylan Gabriel, right? It's like a broken collarbone. That broken collarbone is not nearly as strong after you break it. So a little bit, little bit of a parallel there. It's kind of a weak parallel by me, but you see what I'm saying. If he gets hit, that's going to be something scary that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think that um, I think that would hold true too. Also, if he sits through this game and through the bye week and goes up in Ames on the first play, gets smoked by Will McDonald, like. That's where we are, right? And uh, especially considering all the Tua stuff that that went down, that was kind of a a, a small questioning, small storyline during Texas Week, right? Was a couple of people asked. I think Jeff Levy was asked about with everything going on with Tua Tonga Vailoa in the background of football. How does that affect how this staff, how this training uh, department handles concussions? And Brent Venables got something similar. I think that the big difference is well it, at the base. Like the protocol is the protocol. So as long as the OU staff and Brent Venables didn't say it's like checking boxes, things like that. But but as long as you go bullet by bullet by bullet, and at some point, if Dylan Gabriel is not flagging anything in the protocol, then the training staff, if if they feel comfortable to clear them, like they got to clear them, whether that's this week, two weeks from now, yeah. all that. And I think that when, once you get past, obviously this first week of, of not playing against Texas, if he, if he was close to, to testing out of it and by him being a full go in practice, like Brent Venable said, I have to imagine that because we, in this program we've already heard in fall camp, Jalen Redman had the concussion and he talked about, he had headaches and light sensitivity and they would not let him sit in the meeting room with Todd Bates in the defensive line. Right? So same program, same protocol. So that makes me believe that Dylan Gabriel at least isn't exhibiting those symptoms. If that's the reaction, right? Then I, I think at some point you got if if he's clear, he's clear. This this isn't a 
he gets nailed on Sunday. It all looks like there's some concussion stuff and they're rolling him out there the next Thursday after a travel day in Cincinnati, like the two yep. things. So he, he sat the yeah. one week and, and from there, I think whatever the protocol is, it's the protocol. If he doesn't test out of it, don't play him. If he clears it, then it's clear. And, and like who've said, regardless of if he gets smoked potentially against Kansas, Iowa state, whatever, it, like it's going to be a storyline because we don't know a ton about brain injuries and, it's players livelihoods and it should be a storyline, but uh, at some point football's football, you have the protocol. You just got to follow it and, and clear it or don't remember too, Ryan, that uh, Jalen Redmond's concussion, Brent Venable said way back in early August when he was missing time was a mild concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are mm-hmm. concussion advocates out there right now. Uh, I, I know one of them personally, she's very, very, I mean, that's her life's work is, is working with athletes and concussion. Uh, concussion awareness for sure. She says there's no such thing as a mild concussion. I'm going to disagree um, professionally speaking because there's there's mild de- varying degrees of everything. You know, just uh, a concussion does not mean you have uh, a grade one concussion versus a grade three concussion, a grade one ankle sprain versus a grade three ankle sprain. There's varying degrees of everything. So I do believe you can say, oh yeah, he got his bell rung. That was a mild concussion. He should be okay. Oh no, he's having a setback. He's having uh, light sensitivity and can't sit in a meeting room. Those things happen um, with concussions. Like you said, we don't know enough about brain injuries to be able to definitively say uh, this will happen. This is definitely happening, and this has happened. Now we know with the timetable that Dylan Gabriel would be back. We don't know. Josh, to your question about does he fix everything? Huh, that's a that's an equally insidious question. We don't know the answer to that. It's it's unknowable. Yeah. You presume that you know he's going to work on his footwork and he's going to not throw the ball wild and he's not going to miss. You got to presume that. Because that you have a greater body of work in his past that he was very accurate. He's look at his percentages, look at some of the throws he made in his career at UCF. He's an accurate passer. So something's wrong uh, in the translation to executing the Oklahoma offense, whether it's the, the, the receiver, the play call, the defense. So there's variables that are entering the equation while he's trying to throw the football and the ball's going everywhere. So if he can fix that, I think Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma will be different because they get to move the chains, they get first downs, they get to keep the football a little bit longer, and they get in the end zone primarily, and that changes the way what Kansas can do. This, yeah, it's going to change it, Josh. It's not going to be forty-nine to nothing this year, yeah. uh, this week. Uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that if Dalen Gabriel's on the field. Yeah, either he plays his worst game. Kansas is going to have to at least take a step back and say, we do have to worry about a pass more than five yards down the field. Texas didn't have to do that last week. They didn't have to do it one bit. So uh, that's got to instill a lot of hope, help that run game for an offensive line that has continued to play better in the run game. It just hasn't mattered because since Dylan Gabriel left, they couldn't move the football. And then again, in Fort Worth for a quarter and a half, like, like you mentioned, who he was very erratic when he was in the game, throwing the ball, uh, and that was when he had enough protection and enough time to to hit some of these wide open wide receivers. Got to run the football. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like I said before, this offense has proven to be pretty productive and pretty good whenever Gabriel is out there. I mean, the four games that he's actually played the full time, you know, they put up good point totals, good yard totals. Um, TCU, it wasn't off to the best start, but he got hurt early enough in that game. That's not really fair to judge that as a full 60 minutes. And so... We'll see. It feels like a long time ago. I said that on the wrap yesterday with Hoove. 
it feels like forever. It's only been two. It's only been a game and a half that he's been out, and the offense has been this what it is. Um, so it feels. I mean, I think maybe fans kind of forget that you know when he was out there, they they scored points, they moved the ball, big plays to Marvin Mims. I mean, they they were explosive. People really liked this offense in the first few weeks. So we'll see if he can slip right in and and be himself after missing this time. And yeah, I mean the concussion stuff. It's hard. It's really hard. Like Ryan was saying. I mean. The, we don't know a lot, and then you, at the end of the day, if he's cleared, he's going to want to play, and you just have to trust that your system works. I don't know what else you can do because he he's going to want to play. Um, that's that's just human nature and competitive nature. So you just have to hope that a he doesn't get hit again, and that b that he is truly cleared and good to go. So we all hope that. Um, but an interesting question raised by Jeremiah Hall, you know, to kind of be like, this yep. is not. Now, you know, maybe not the best move. So we'll see. Everybody hoping for the best, obviously. Um, especially when you have the bye week after. Because if he doesn't play, you get a whole another week automatically. So we'll see. We'll see. I I think it'll be the same thing. Like who was saying, it might be the same. We're not going to know until, especially considering that he did the, <coughs> he did the full warm-up in in uh, Dallas. Until that first snap, we're not going to really know. He's, he's going to be out there warming up in pads, I'm pretty sure, on Saturday either way. And we're just going to have to do the same thing of, well, we'll see what actually happens when the when the bullets start flying here coming up at 11 o'clock. So we'll find out on Saturday. All right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We're going to look ahead to the back half of the season. We are at the halfway point. And can this season be salvaged for Oklahoma? Is it too far gone? A la Trevor Knight. And, of course, we'll break down OU Kansas uh, coming up here on Saturday. Next up right here on the All-Centers Podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan's at underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover i'm at josh m calloway our website is allsooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated network Okay, segment two, Oklahoma, Kansas preview time. Although before we get to that, let me let me spin it forward a little bit because we're at the halfway point, right? Six games down, six to go, maybe no more if they don't win at least three more games. Obviously, um, once they get the academic thing, like Ryan jokingly said a, a week or two ago, uh, to get into bowl eligibility. I want to bring it up. So we didn't talk about it all last week, but Trevor Knight, remember former OU quarterback, um, on his podcast, whatever it was, I don't even know what it is. He said that the season was gone already. That was before the Texas game. The season's already a bust. It's already a failure. Can't be saved. Um, I mean, you can do the best you can, but it's already a, it's already a failure, basically, the first year of Brent Venables. That was before the Texas game. 
So Texas game happens, it was 49 nothing. So I'm curious, since we're at the midway point, do you guys feel like the season can be salvaged in terms of this year still being looked at as a success for Brent Venables year one, or is it too late? And it's going to be, he can make the best of it, but still like it's a disappointing year, no matter what happens moving forward. A success using that term. No, no chance, Josh. This is a lost season in terms of is, will this, can this season still be a success? A success at Oklahoma is winning the big 12 championship and getting to a really nice bowl game, maybe even a a BCS type bowl, a new year six bowl, uh, and a college football playoff. That's success. This season's not mm-hmm. going to do that. Listen, they're own three in conference play. They could finish mathematically. They're not out of it. They could finish six and three, get to the second place spot in the standings if things shake out. Enough teams in front of them lose the certain games and get to the championship game and would beat that team and win the Big Twelve championship. Would it be a success then at nine and three? Eh. I think there'd be a lot of disgruntled yeah. people, but listen, there's so far to go before we start talking about six straight wins by this team. Mathematically, yes. Realistically, no. So what's a success then? Uh, is it six and six? I said last week, I don't think six and six can ever be considered a success. You go to a bowl game, beat some rum dum in some bowl game on December 19th that nobody wants to watch. Is that a success? Absolutely not. Uh, seven and six would be a, a, a lost season. And th- in the context of what, uh, Trevor was talking about, he's talking about championships and he's talking about, uh, you know, 10 win seasons and stuff like that. That's gone. That's all gone right now. So he's right. He's not wrong. And that was before the Texas game, 49, nothing lose to Texas. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Trevor's feeling very, very vindicated this week that, you know, he's not happy about it, but I'm just the people who criticized him for saying it was a lost season. He was right. Let me peel back the curtain for you guys. This was our third quarter experience in the Cotton Bowl. Hoove and I have the Oklahoma Media Guide out, and I am uh, going through the 90s, and we're trying to tally up what is the worst margin of victory or margin of defeat, excuse me, in back-to-back weeks for Oklahoma. That was our third quarter. Uh, another part of that is me double checking and triple checking, quadruple checking that any Brent Venable defense has ever given up 40 points two weeks in a row, much less three weeks in a row. That's what we've lived the last two weeks in the press box. And at Oklahoma, that can never come anywhere close to success, acceptable, anything like that. But you're three and three. It is what it is. You still haven't had any of these guys peel off and decommit for this recruiting class. So the adjusted expectations of what can be salvaged from this is if you, A, rally back and at least put a respectable win total on the board in a year one, if you somehow, some way get to, gosh, eight and four, which seems impossible right now, but if again, pipe dream, like you put that up or – a seven and five where your next two losses are not 30 point blowouts, but a three pointer and a seven pointer somewhere else. And that recruiting class stays intact. Then you can say awful first year, but it can at least be built upon and spun into the future, get the defense stuff like that. But, but there's no fuzzy good, whatever, (laughs) like it, like before the season, if you say eight and four, fine. Okay, but that's without the context of two games where you've been blown out and and you set a new program record because you've never lost by 30 plus points two weeks in a row. Right. 
that that there's no success, no salvaging that because you can go eight and four and be fine in year one. You can't go eight and four and lose 49 to nothing, get beat by 30 plus uh, to Texas, get beat by 30 plus points by TCU and get run off your home field by K-State and feel good about anything. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal moving forward for Brent Venables and his and his coaching staff is just to end the season with some sort of good vibes. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing of of, of all is you, even if they go six and six, how does it happen? Do they win Bedlam? You know, do they end the season with a win? You know, against Texas Tech, do they and then go win their bowl game? I mean, just have some semblance of momentum and just something you can feel good about going into uh, the off season. I agree. I mean, the season. I mean, coming into the year, um, Bill thought, I mean, they were still the favorites to win the Big 12. So, you know, obviously you put the context around that is Brent's first year and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, they were expected to be at worst probably a 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two team. And they're at 3-3 three and three right now. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if they, if they went out, they win the next six weeks. And maybe that's good enough to get them in the Big 12 championship game still. I don't know. I, I, I don't, it depends what kind of carnage we see over the last, you know, second half of the season. They go win their bowl or whatever then yeah, I mean, that'd be great. But like Hoop was saying, why would that happen right now based off what we've seen? I mean, could it happen? You never know. Culturables, crazy teams get hot. But yeah, I mean, right now, it, that seems hard to uh, imagine. So yeah, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. Well, it, easy. Bill, Dylan Gabriel comes back. They move some defensive players to offense. Uh, I think we're onto something there. I think the season is uh, going to be salvaged at nine and three. You also have to free a scout team uh, player to to, to add a jolt to on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, but seriously, and this is a ridiculous statement and a sad statement to be thrown out for the University of Oklahoma. This team really needs those bowl practices, guys. They need to get to a bowl game. They need those extra days of work where if nothing mm-hmm. else, the coaching staff can say, Hey, Jaron Canick. Hey, Kip Lewis. Hey, all you like it actually doesn't matter if you win this game. So we're going to feed you more first team, second team reps, one rung up on the depth chart from what you've been all year long. They need that in a yeah. massive way with this coaching staff. And again, that says a ton about the development that it had had happened, but also what is failing to happen right now with this coaching staff of translating things to Saturdays and, and confidence and all that stuff. They've got to have these ball practices. So the the converse of that is uh, if your season is so bad, you go six and six and you end up playing some December 15th, December 19th bowl game, you don't get the full complement of 15 practices. You only get as many as you can squeeze in between finals and that day. So uh, that would be a drawback uh, for sure. I've seen that happen a couple of times where bowl teams where, hey, we can get the 15 practice. No, you only get like nine. You only get I'll 10. Say, I, I've, I've tried to look around because, believe me, I've looked into like what bowl could OU – possibly wind up in and i don't think that there's really any realistic scenario where they play in a bowl game pre-christmas i'll say that um wow that's surprising it doesn't really seem like there's there's not that many power five affiliated bowls that are before even like the lowest rung for big 12 bowl which is the guaranteed rate bowl which we've jokingly wanted because it's in phoenix that game's on december 27th is when that's scheduled so i don't think that they'll play pre-christmas barring a like, I don't know, some kind of weird at-large situation where they go play something really random. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think so. Even so though I like question, it, be great. That'd be great to be done before Christmas. We're back home. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. That. So the question then becomes, do you give the team the 15 bowl practices and grind them down further? Because they're already pretty tired. 
But I think you give the the young guys those practices and you say that it actually doesn't yeah. matter if you win this game, but like it right now everything's building toward next year anyway, right? Uh rip it down to the studs, there's termite damage, the foundation needs to be reset, all those things that uh, uh, any home improvement jargon that we can throw in there for like, this is really bad, just do it. Uh, but I get like Alton Tarber, Grayson Halton, Robert Spears Jennings, Shirley Williams, Jaron Canick, Kip Lewis, Kobe Kinsey, those guys need those 15 practices, whether they play or not, just because those are yeah. guys that are going to have to come in and contribute next year yep. based off of what you've seen out of the defense this year. Keep in mind, too, guys will portal um, and clear the way uh, in bowl prep. That's just that's just the reality of every team. That's not even that's not an indictment on Brand or, or every team going into bowl season will lose some guys portal or declaring for the draft. I mean that we saw that a lot last year, and we were like, man, so you're going to have a team in the Alamo Bowl, and they ended up piecing it together and actually winning that game. Oregon was was arguably even more depleted than them. So um, you know you can. The young guys will will yeah definitely benefit from reaching a bowl. So also that should be a goal anyway. You don't want to be Oklahoma and not playing a bowl. Um, I don't agree with the notion that like not making a bowl is in a way like better than playing in a guaranteed rate bowl or something like oh he's too good for that. Not nah, get to your bowl, get to your bowl, show some pride and go win it. Like when Duke turned down the NIT that one time, maybe it was Kentucky. Like no. Nah. Go play. That, that's how I uh, approach that kind of thing, at least in my brain. So get to a bowl, win it. That seems to be Oklahoma's objective right now as we sit here at the midway point. Now, this game. Let's talk about this game a little bit. OU Kansas on Saturday. We'll start uh, with the most obvious in that Jalen Daniels, the stud Kansas quarterback who I was really excited to see in person. Doesn't look like he's going to play on Saturday. Lance Lee Pohl suggested that he's doubtful to play this weekend. It was then reported that he's out for the season, and Jalen Daniels quotes that report and said, that's news to me. So I don't know what to believe. What I do know is that Lance Leopold, the coach of Kansas, said he was doubtful to play this weekend. So at least relative to this Saturday, it looks like it's going to be the Jason Bean show. And while I think the Nats reaction of OU fans would probably be, you know, disappointment for Jalen Daniels, but a little bit of an exhale of like, God, he, what would he have done to this defense? Jason Bean's pretty good. Um, he can sling it. I watched that TCU game back. He had some really nice throws and he played really good against OU last year. Um, his numbers were solid in Lawrence a year ago. So I don't think it just gets easy because Jalen Daniels is that Jason Bean is probably <laughs> one of the more quality backups in the entire country, which is ironic considering that where OU is at right now in their backup situation. Mm -hmm. So going to be interesting. Gonna, another test for this OU defense though. Um, Kansas is playing well. Lance Leopold's got that team rolling. They scored 31 last week. It was like all in the second half. So they, they can play. Yeah. Jason Bean is is ready for this moment. He's ready mm -hmm. to come to Norman and, and win this game. Um, he played – you mentioned he played well against the Sooners last year. Last week he had six pass plays of 20 yards or more. When's the last time Oklahoma had a pass play of 20 yards or more? Uh, <laughs> just – it's it's kind of ridiculous. He's He's a better backup. And he's playing at a level, I should say. He's playing at a level as a backup at Kansas that is higher than what Oklahoma's starting quarterback has been playing, Dylan Gabriel, uh, in the first three or four games of the season. So uh, Kansas is ready. Jalen Daniels not expected to play. I don't think they're going to drop off much. You saw the the reaction, they, they a little bit of a slow start when he came in last week, but uh, he's a guy that can rally the team. I heard him. I heard somebody say, God, was it was it? 
Teddy Lehman, somebody, uh, maybe it was Gabe, I can't remember. <coughs> he was like a 10-3 or 10-400 meter guy. That sounds impossible. I, I would dispute that. 10-6 is absolutely flying. Uh, 10-4 is n- like nearly almost world class. So I don't think he's that <laughs> fast, but the kid, there's no doubt, no disputing. The kid can ab- absolutely fly. He's not a true dual threat, but once he gets going, he's absolutely a dual threat. And listen to some of these numbers, you guys. This is amazing to me. Two years ago, Kansas averaged 259 yards a game. You know what they're averaging right now? 442. Okay. Two years ago, they gave up 47 sacks. So far this year, they've given up three. Uh, Average yards per play, 3.7 two years ago. 3.7 yards per play. Flip that. They're now averaging 7.3. Third down percentage, 23% back in 2020. It's now 55%. It's no secret why these guys are, are having great success, and it's not a fluke either. 105 yards a game rushing two years ago. This year, 215 yards per game rushing. Think about those numbers. Those are sustainable numbers. Third down conversions, running the football, not giving up sacks. Those are sustainable numbers. Kansas, we could be looking at a Kansas takeover in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, it's the uh, worst rush defense in Big 12 play. Again, Oklahoma's given up. 310 yards per game on the ground an absolutely absurd number versus kansas who's a top 20 rushing attack not only that like you mentioned who top 20 rushing attack with some option concepts in there right in in the run game uh brent venables said whether you um track speed or not the question is always was that translate to the field all that stuff brent venables led off his press conference yesterday with a big um you know kansas evaluation where he basically said that when you look at it on film, being straight line speed faster than Jalen Daniels, right? So it, it it translates to him putting the pads on, trying to run over guys. And that's all in the context of this is a defense that, guys, they're past second guessing every play call. I think they're third guessing and fourth guessing because that's how slow they look making these decisions, getting downhill. They can't get off blocks. The linebackers are paralyzed, and by the time they get there, Bean's going to have a full head of steam coming up against these guys if they're not playing confident. Like, not only is this a very efficient Kansas offense, this is the recipe for what Oklahoma does not want to have to deal with, which is physical up front, playmakers. You've got um, Hinshaw, who, who who made his money at more high school, right, uh, coming back as the running back, one of those guys yeah. in the stable. Like, th- this is the exact wrong matchup for what we've seen out of the Oklahoma defense. And I think Brett Venables brought up, brought up a really good point. The three-man front has not worked against TCU, against Texas. The four-man front did not work stopping the run whatsoever against K-State either. So while I like, I would be a proponent of probably need to shred the three-man front for the rest of the year and just get two defensive tackles on the field when that might be your deepest position – that group with four people, uh, four linemen, excuse me, on the field did not do anything against the K-State run game. It's a different rushing attack, different kind of rushing attack from Kansas, but one that is just as effective and can just as easily bowl over the Sooners on the ground this Saturday. Great point, Ryan. Brent said yesterday something that caught my attention. He said he wants to major in the minors. How about majoring in one thing on defense? One thing. And I, I suggest a four-man front. I suggest, like you said, uh, get Jordan Kelly, get Isaiah Coe out there, get uh, all those guys that have played and played well over the years. Get guys in there, rotate them in if you have to, it doesn't matter. Uh, get them in there and let them play. 
yes, you lose some gap integrity on the edges uh, sometimes. But, you know, the fact of the matter is if you're able to hold your ground on the line of scrimmage, which we did not see out of the three-man front against either TCU or Texas, especially Texas, uh, they just expose those guys, um, especially on the edges. Uh, if you put those things together, put those guys on the field, major in one thing, stop making guys guess at what their role is going to be. Uh, am I am I head up here? Am I am I shading on the guards in, inside eye? Uh, am I am I too close? Am I too far? It's there, there's a lot of guesswork that goes in. Just major in one thing, major yeah. in being a four down team. Uh, four down defensive front, and th- maybe that'll clear things up for your back end. Maybe that'll clear things up, clarify for your defensive backs, your secondary. And who knows if those guys up front are taking on those blocks, maybe the linebackers aren't getting crisscrossed up and bumping into each other and tripping over themselves like we've seen the last two games. Need some semblance of a pass rush. I mean, we've been beating that like a dead horse, but my God, it's just so hard to play defense when you can't get any heat on the quarterback, and based off what I saw when these two teams played last year and what I saw happen last Saturday with Kansas and TCU, if you just let Jason Bean hang out back there, he's going to carve you up big time. So, got to find a way. Got to. And when OU was was playing good defense, when they was, when you know, when they hit Nebraska and they had Casey Thompson and just in hell, they were sacking him and putting pressure. I mean, that, that changes everything everything for you you gotta find a way to make him uncomfortable Quinn yours I, I can't stress enough how much it looked like he was just hanging out back there um can't have that cannot have that so that's gonna be the biggest thing for me is finding a way to get some heat on Jason Bean create some negative plays too I mean without regardless of the pass rush helping your secondary and stuff just get him behind the chains get yourself in an advantageous position for once maybe that could make a big difference too so we'll see yeah is that gonna win this game if they run the football, yes. <laughs> I, I throw this at you. If Dylan Gabriel plays, yes. And if they're able to run the football, yes. If either of those two things don't happen, I don't think Oklahoma wins this game. I'll throw this one more stat at you. Uh, under Lance Leipold, Kansas is 0-10 when the opponent runs for 200 yards or more. Oklahoma needs to run for 200 yards or yeah. more in this game. Establish the line of scrimmage. Okay. Uh, keep the football. Move the chains. Uh, keep that defense, which is so bad. Keep that defense off the field. That's great in theory, and I agree the theory of the case is there. Um, This is a defense that has negative confidence, I think, based off what we've just seen. Talking to them, they're suddenly very quiet. They give answers. They're thoughtful. They think through it, but there is no swagger. There is no edge. There is no we're Oklahoma and that's evaporated over three weeks. Uh, and this is Kansas's chance. This is Kansas's chance to go into Norman and for to put up a gaudy rushing total and it not just be to put up 50, uh, 40 points on the scoreboard in a lopsided 18-point loss. Uh, what we've seen out of the defense, I have no faith whatsoever that they will be able to do anything to even try to stop Kansas. They just look like a unit that is mentally lost. And when you flip that over to the other side, We've seen Dylan Gabriel kind of get sped up and press a little bit. So, like, if they can run, that would be awesome to settle him in. But the, the last time we saw him, every bit of his mechanics was all wonky, and it was resulting in missing all kinds of wide receivers, all that stuff. 
now you have the added element of maybe this doesn't affect him at all, but who would blame him if he has this other little niggling thought in the back of his head if he plays of, hey, I need to make sure I'm extra safe today, right? Because I don't want to get hit because of the last time I was out there, I got yeah. smoked um, on, on a play that should have been safe, right? He was sliding. He should have been safe. It's nothing anyone could have done, right, to, to avoid that. That's just a, a a boneheaded play by an opponent that that costs you a game and a half of, of your season. All of that coming together. And this thing being at home, the first time anything happens, the groans, the boo birds. If you're Oklahoma, Oklahoma would rather play road games the rest of the year, I think, than play <laughs> another game at home until they get some good vibes. I don't see it. it. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, if they go down early, it's going to be ugly in Norman. Ugly, ugly. It, the booze will be out big time. They were coming out a little bit when the Kansas State came. That was, that was before the, the last couple of debacles. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I said I, – I, <clears throat> I stressed it after the game on Saturday. I talked about it earlier in the show. I feel like they are truly a different team with Dylan Gabriel. So I will back that up and say I do think Oklahoma's going to win this weekend. Um, but it's dicey. It's dicey for all the reasons Ryan said. All those are fair, fair points. And Kansas is good. Kansas is a good team coming in there on this weekend. Um, I just, whenever Dylan Gabriel has played four games this year where he played the full time, three blowout wins, and a Kansas State game where you played pretty poorly and you still had a shot to win it late, I don't, I guess I don't really know who's better between Kansas and Kansas State right now. I'm inclined to say Kansas State, but I don't know. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I do think they're a different team when Dylan Gabriel plays. So we'll see what happens. Said I do think Oklahoma wins, but I mean, it's not going to surprise me one bit. I wouldn't put any money on it. <laughs> put it that way, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Kansas goes in there and wins on Saturday. How loud is this? Something on the table could be the second straight year that in Oklahoma, Kansas at halftime, due to the number of people in the stands, someone's like, "Hey, we can open up the gates. Just let anybody in." That's a possibility. That'd be fun. Obviously, Oklahoma won't, but. The situation, what's going on? If things are ugly, I, I don't expect a populated Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium in the third quarter if that defense plays the way that's played the last three weeks. What about the spread in this game? Oklahoma's favored by nine right now. Nine. Is that surprising? That yes. seems high. Yeah. It's it's only gone up all week, which is just incredible that it was a touchdown seven and a half for so long was incredible. It's getting closer and now it's nine. I mean, a lot of money coming in on OU. That's all. <laughs> that's all you can say about that is they're just adjusting the line to the money that's coming in. It's going to be interesting. I'm just perplexed, but like, I know that there's a lot of metrics that go into that with what OU's run defense has been plus Kansas's rushing offense. I just, a lot of people smarter than me and it's computers and all that stuff. I can't begin to wrap my head around that. How you, you, you put all that context in and spit out almost a double digit Oklahoma line. Yeah, It's Jason, it's uh, Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, you know, the news, the the videos with the subterfuge, the chicanery and all that stuff. Betters are saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that. Uh, there's a lot of people in Vegas who don't watch college football who bet on college football. So <laughs> Yeah, no, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Oklahoma is still a favorite. I speculated a week or two ago, would Kansas be a road favorite? And this is pretty much the scenario. I mean, I think if Kansas had beaten TCU and Daniels was healthy, maybe, but nine-point favorite is uh, – that's a lot. That's pretty significant. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that, I mean, that's about the same number that Texas was over OU this last weekend. Um, pretty wild. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Looking forward to it. We'll all be there, of course. 
back in Norman for the first time in a while. That Kansas State game feels like a really long time ago. That was the last home game. Um, and we'll be back at the stadium uh, on Saturday. All right, we'll take another timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk about um, do we foresee recruiting impact coming down the pike if they don't turn this around soon. We'll talk about that next, as well as, of course, around the Big 12. Huge game in the conference this weekend going down in Fort Worth. And, of course, we'll look at the NFL a little bit. Big weekend for a couple of Sooners. Uh, We'll talk about that next as well on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 150. Send you on your way into your OU homecoming weekend, rough vibes when you're homecoming. Um, if they're down big doing the homecoming stuff at halftime, look out. It's going to be an ugly scene in, uh, in Norman at 11 a.m. kick. going to be great weather, though. Looking forward to that. It's like in the 80s. I like that. I like that part of it. All right. Let's start off. Uh, we'll keep the negative vibes going before we look to some more positive things for OU. Recruiting part of this. So, obviously, a lot of fans are probably wondering, and Ryan referenced it earlier, right now the recruiting class has held firm. Nobody's decommitted. Uh, a lot of players have actually come out and said, like, we're not going anywhere. We're going to turn this around when we get there. Jaquase Petaway, I saw Dalen Smothers tweeted some stuff. Other guys have as well. Um, but how close are we to that, you guys think? I and mean, we're, we're speculating here. We're not recruiting insiders. But how close? I mean, can they stomach another couple of losses here and still expect to hold on to the guys who are like, the Colton Vasics, you know, you know, the guys who are like really close battles that you, you're worried might flip. Um, because, I mean, that's got to be a fear if you're Oklahoma saying like, okay, our product on the field stinks right now. How are we going to hang on to all these highly tatted recruits? Yeah, or like the guy I talked to a couple of weeks ago, David Stone, who yeah. hasn't officially made his decision yet. Um, leaning toward OU, I think he, he said OU was his front runner. But, help uh, he said other schools could jump in there and, and be at that level as well. So um, Michigan State is one of them, of course. Um, I don't know. Uh, let me just <laughs> say, I think 16 and 17-year-old boys at this stage of the game, at this stage of their life, uh, at this stage of the NIL legislation, I don't think they know what they want uh, to a large degree. I don't, And I think that holds true over the course of a generation, you know, the um, I'm not trying to be old man yelling at the cloud on my lawn. Right. But, uh, at the same time, I think there's, there's kids that flip and say they're going to do one thing. And we saw it with David Hicks told the OU coaches he was committing. And then 20 minutes later, apparently flipped to Texas A&M. I mean, things are, this can be a flaky situation and it's impossible to predict even for the insiders, as we found out two weeks ago with David Hicks, everybody was on him saying he's definitely going to Oklahoma. Okay, probably you were right when you said it, uh, but his mind changed or, or something changed his mind. 
Uh, and that had nothing to do with losing 49 nothing to Texas. Think about all those recruits that were down there for Oklahoma at Dallas taking yeah. their visits to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, pretty bad. And there were some people who were at the TCU game, okay, in Fort Worth. That's TCU's home game. OU's not allowed to host anybody. They were down there to watch OU because they want to see the Sooners. I mean, uh, you mentioned his name, Colton Vassett, guys like that. They're very, very, very interested in going to play football at Oklahoma. Will that continue to be the case if this thing doesn't get flipped on it, flipped off of its head? Because uh, Oklahoma football right now has been flipped on its side. Yeah, I think it's um, both sides of this coin here illustrate what the worry is. So on the front end, you come out of Kansas State and you go, oh, my gosh, they've dropped one game. And I think that everyone's right to say pump the brakes. I think you'd be surprised how little one game can kind of turn. I know everyone hears the famous Adrian Peterson story of watching Texas get their bell rung and OU Texas. That game's a different can of worms. But for the most part, I think the surprising thing, talking to some of these guys in the offseason and stuff like that, you find out that a lot of them are high school kids. You go out on a Friday night and you play your high school football game. And what do you want to do on a Saturday? Yeah, you'll have a game on in the background. You'll kind of flip around to college football, but I want to go hang out with my friends or I want to just be a high school kid. You know what I mean? So, so one game like that is not the end all be all. As you found out with David Hicks, who was in college station on hand to watch Texas A&M get pants by Appalachian state. When you give up historically bad numbers over a three-game stretch, and if it doesn't get fixed and it doesn't improve, there are going to be probably a, a small number with based off of the strategy for what, what Venables and Co. are doing of like the don't commit unless you're 100% sure. But can you blame a guy like a Colton Vasek who's heads up OU in Texas, and if Texas continues to play like this, that's a big if, but continues to play like this and ends up in Arlington, and then that coaching staff can circle back in December and say, We've got this fixed. Come come be a part of a winner right now as opposed to how Reliance going to take Brent Venables or any of these guys that were OU in Alabama or OU in Georgia. Yeah. You're going to hold this product up to anything that Alabama and Georgia put on the field? No. So like that is a massive concern. They've That's why they've got to get this thing fixed so they can say it's a three-game blip and you dropped one more game somewhere else, but you were competitive or you dropped two games and you were competitive. Like You've got to get that fixed or that's going to be the reality. It might not be a mass exodus, but – you're not keeping every single person probably intact if you continue to play like that. Yeah, it's going to really test the relationship that Brent Venables and these coaches have with these guys. How much, you know, how much are these kids committed to, I really want to play for Coach X and play at OU, those facilities, that stadium, you know, all that stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, the product on the field is, is bad right now. I mean, everybody watching or listening – knows that they've listened to, I mean, it, it, it's rough. And there was a lot of recruits at the OU Texas game. It was an OU home game. They had a lot of recruits down there that watched that. Um, I mean, I'd be absolutely lying to you. If I said that as a high school kid, I'm trying to say, where well, I want to play football and I go watch uh, my team. That I'm supposed to go play for in a year or two, get just manhandled like that. That would make me kind of be like, Ugh, do I want to go there and lose? Cause that's what it feels like I'd be doing right now. So We'll see how it plays out. Still time turned around. I think the general consensus has been you'd be surprised at how level-headed high school kids can be. These recruits, they're very mature a lot of times for their age. Um, so we'll see. Maybe it doesn't affect it too much. Um, I know Oklahoma's probably hoping that signing day would hurry up, though. <laughs> so they can get some of these guys signed because 
yeah, with every with every really bad performance you put out there on Saturday, you risk losing, you know, these guys. That's just the reality of it. So we'll see how that uh, shakes out. Right now, it's still good. Haven't lost anybody. Got to hang on though, and that's kind of the saving grace right now for Oklahoma is that it hasn't affected them yet. But you can't imagine they could just keep losing by forty plus every weekend. It's not going to have an impact at some point. It will. So we'll see how that shakes out. All right, look at the Big 12 this weekend. Actually, with Thursday nighter, Baylor plays West Virginia in Morgantown on Thursday. Baylor's 3-2 and two and unranked, and it still feels like they're really good. They're weird. They're a weird team right now. The big game this weekend, Iowa State plays Texas as well, but the big game obviously is in Fort Worth, Oklahoma State, and TCU. Both those teams are the only two undefeated teams in the conference. Um, right now, that would be your Big 12 championship game. Those two, they look to be the two best teams, at least right now. Could still change over the course of the year. Right now, those look to be the cream of the crop. It's in Fort Worth. It's going to be a doozy. Uh, the Big 12 is is absolute carnage. If Oklahoma wants to get back in the race, which they pretty much have to win out to have any hope of that, but you, you just got to keep hoping for carnage. So you, you need Iowa State to win in Austin this weekend. You probably need Baylor to lose in Morgantown. You just want mayhem. That's your path to getting back in it. Um, but that OSU-TCU game is obviously the, the big one this weekend. Yeah, that's the one I'd be looking forward to the most. Uh, Oklahoma State, number, what are they, number eight? Uh, dropped a spot, one last week and dropped a spot versus uh, TCU's number 13 after winning at KU last week. So um, two quality teams, two quality offenses. Uh, the defenses are better, I think, than what we anticipated they would be. Uh, both guys had to replace their coordinator, and both guys, the defense has been pretty solid. There's been holes, obviously, in both defenses, but uh, this is going to be a it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, Spencer Sanders and Max Max Duggan run up and down the yeah. field and try to try to you know get out of the pocket and create things. I love watching both of those guys play. Um, Texas is uh, a, I think I saw yesterday. I'm, I might be a little off on this, but I think I saw 15 and a half point favorite. I got 16 and a half right here. 13, 13 and a half. 16 and a half is what I have it's right up here. Up to 16. Okay, so there you go. That's a little surprising for me because Iowa state's defense is one of the top two or three defenses in the big 12. I mean, there's a ton of really good offenses, not a ton of great defenses. Iowa state's one of the good defenses. Will McDonald is the preseason defensive player of the year for a reason. Um, so we'll see about that one. That's an 11 AM game in Austin. Um, and I fully expect uh, Texas to experience some kind of post post OU letdown. Those are the two really good games. And then of course the Thursday game, uh, that's going to be, Fun, I would say Baylor and West Virginia on Thursday. Not a lot night. of heart in that. Yeah, that's that's going to be tough. I don't I don't know what to think about that one yet because I get the feeling that West Virginia and Neil Brown and those guys are starting to t- kind of turn a corner and figure some things out. So Baylor going up there two and one in conference play, maybe they're overlooking somebody. I don't know. That's a tough trip to make anyway, just for the distance. And then uh, you playing on a Thursday night. And you're playing in Morgantown in front of that crowd that's going to be sauced up. Um, watch out! That could be a, a, a West Virginia upset. The uh, the King Felix disrespect. Will McDonald decorated postseason honors, but it was Felix Anaduke Uzoma who was the preseason defensive player. Ah, uh, okay. But uh, no, still, I look. We saw Quinn get pressured on what one pass it felt like last week in the Cotton Bowl, and it was almost a pick to Woody Washington. Um, Otherwise, the the red shirt freshman could have had a picnic, all that fun stuff. That's not going to be the case, and it's going to be very different on both sides because 
I would say it's going to set up in, in their kind of umbrella cover, stuff like that. And Will McDonald's going to be uh, breathing down Quinn Ewers' neck. So that'll be a really interesting response from him as far as, okay, you're, you're actually going to get pressured here. And a Texas program that since, what, 2009 has not done well handling any kind of success whatsoever. So that'll be interesting. But, yeah, all eyes are on Oklahoma State, TCU, Max Duggan, you've shown the wheels. Now you're going to be running for your life against that Oklahoma State pass rush. So can you continue to make those plays with your feet or will it result in a couple of mistakes for an opportunistic OSU secondary to kind of take advantage? Because that's been the – I don't really want to label it as a weakness because I don't think they've been that bad. But like the if you're going to have success against the Oklahoma State defense, you, the secondary has been culpable to giving up a couple of plays here and there. So if Duggan can extend the pocket, extend those plays, then they've got a chance with those skill position players. That's a ton of fun. And if you're a massive glass half full, like a root 44 size glass half full Oklahoma fan, whoever wins down in Fort Worth this weekend, like you've just got to say the rest of the way through conference play, you need that team to go unbeaten outside of when they play Oklahoma so you're probably rooting for TCU, who already has the win over Oklahoma, to just continue to go unbeaten and hang losses on everybody else. That way the Sooners can scratch yeah. and try to fight their way back up. But let me just focus on stopping Jason Bean first before you start worrying about all the math <laughs> and all the weird yeah. stuff going on. Now, Will McDonald was a first-team All-American last year. and No, no, no. Set the school record for with 32 career sacks at 11 and a half last year. So no, I think that, he's a better player than King Felix. Yes. Massively yeah, decorated, great. has shown it, but just Absolutely. technically. Technically. Now, are really, you talking about the, the coaches uh, player of the year or the media player of the year? Because there's some – Distinction in there yeah. came up in the press conference this week when uh, Venable said uh, well, no, nobody in the media thought we had uh, a co- all conference player. I'm like, that was the coach's poll, coach, coach Venables. <laughs> that was the coach's poll. So, yeah, just just the uh, the preseason one that gets released right before Big Twelve Media Day. That famously, uh, everybody got it right. Yeah. Turk's the only conference player on this team. Everybody got it right. <laughs> that was probably one of the best things from from Brett. Yeah, saying I guess everybody was right because he's the only one doing anything uh, productive right now. I'm kidding, funny. he says, but also the yeah, truth is not. Really. not. Yeah, no, <laughs> not really. He said it was like actually that's kind of mean. I guess I'll take it back, but he meant it. We all know it. Uh, yeah, Sonny Dyke, Brent Venables probably hates Sonny Dykes because Sonny Dykes is the one making Brent look bad each week because he stepped into first year in TCU and they're good. They're really good, and they, if they beat, I think they're going to beat OSU. I mean, they're a home favorite. They beat OSU. They're going to be in the top ten, and they're going to be the only undefeated team in the conference. Now, the schedule is kind of tough. They still have to play Kansas State. It's in Fort Worth. They still have to play Kansas State, and they got to go to Waco and they got to go to Austin. So, there's lots of opportunities for trip ups, but I mean, they're going to be in great shape to try and get into the playoff conversation if they can win on Saturday, and. That's a rough, rough situation for Brent because, and I agree completely that he needs more time and all this stuff, but it's it's hard whenever Sonny Dykes is there first year doing what he's doing. And so um, we'll see what happens. That's going to be a good game, though, on Saturday, OSU and TCU. OSU looks vulnerable against Texas Tech, so uh, what happens in Fort Worth uh, is going to be interesting to see. Max Duggan's balling right now, so we'll see how that shakes out, him and Spencer Sanders dueling in, uh, in Fort Worth. All right, go to the NFL to wrap up. It's not going well for our buddy Baker. Panthers are really bad. Matt Rule got fired, and Baker is injured. He's going to miss some time. I think it was an ankle sprain, if I remember correctly. I should have looked that up. Pretty yep. sure ankle sprain. 
Um, he's hoping it's not like long, long term, but it sounds like at least a game or two minimum. Um, the Cardinals are bad, but on the plus side, Eagles are really good. Jalen Hurts continues to play really well. And Ramondre Stevenson is balling with the Patriots. He was the focus of Sooners the NFL on allsooners.com this week. He went for a buck 60 uh, on the ground for the Patriots. He's becoming one of their feature backs. Bill Belichick had a great quote post game. He was asked about Ramondre. He said, he's an all around full player. I love him. That's what Bill Belichick said about <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson. You got it like that. So, yeah, going really well for Ramondre. He was, you know, emerging as one of the best Sooners in the NFL right now. But what stuck out to you guys from from Week Five? Uh, definitely Ramondre and that that Belichick quote. He said, "I love him twice." He said, "I love him. I love him." It's like emphatic. Wow, uh, we're on to Cincinnati, right? You get that from yeah. Bill Belichick now when he's talking about one of his own players. He loves him. He loves him twice. Uh, Hollywood Browns having a good season out in Arizona. Uh, the Cardinals obviously are not. Mark Andrews, again, uh, making a case for maybe the third best tight end in the NFL. Third, He's top five. He's one of the top five tight ends in the NFL right now. Mark Andrews is amazing. Um, and, you know, Lamar Jackson just keeps going to him. That's the thing, man. There are guys all over this league who are uh, making hay in the, at this point in their career. They all played – most of them played for Bob Stoops. They all played for Lincoln Riley, and uh, now Venables is, has got to start, you know, get these guys currently on this team playing at a level where they want, they all want to be, which is the NFL. Yeah, and I think the uh, the downside is Baker Mayfield. Look, it's not a perfect situation around him, but he has been awful, yep. awful. All the metrics, he's the next to last. He's he's not last, but next to last in quarterback rating, all that stuff. Uh, you've seen the when things aren't going well and then Baker is cold with the media like that's not what other GMs want to see out of a guy that they potentially this offseason might bring in to be the face of their franchise or even a stopgap guy like I think that normally that'd be pretty overrated but it it's not for the quarterback position like that that's the one of those spots where you want a polished guy like if he's going to come in and stink, then he needs to not uh, bring any other negative attention to the locker room, all that stuff. That's not been what you've seen from Baker the last couple of weeks. It's it's not good, especially with the injury compounding it. Now another head coach, all that stuff. Uh, it, it's really tough sledding, and uh, it's looking more and more and more like backup city next year for, for Baker Mayfield. And frankly, it's been earned by his play. Again, nothing's mm-hmm. perfect around him. He's done nothing yeah. to elevate anyone in yeah. Carolina. Sixth NFL coach for Baker coming up. I mean, that that's tough. Um, it's certainly not putting you in a great position, uh, obviously. He hasn't played well by any stretch. But uh, sixth already. It's his fifth year. He's going to have a sixth different head coach. And then obviously next year, almost certainly seven, one, one way or another, because either the Panthers will hire somebody new or he'll just be on another team. Um, so a pretty, pretty unreal. He's had a lot of different head coaches um, in his uh, early part of his NFL career. And yeah, Ramondre, he's, he's, he's balling. And Damian Harris, the Patriots uh, normal running back got hurt, kind of opened the door for that. So he may have, while well, he pipped him and taken his job a little bit. Um, we think that Mark Belichick is him off there. Yeah, we think that Belichick names his next Husky Ramondre because I think I think you're uh, we're trending in that direction. I'd like to see if I'm Baker, right? If I'm Baker and I'm looking at the totality of my career, um, I might swallow my pride a little bit and try to get a free agent gig as a backup in Kansas City, uh, where you get to play behind Creed Humphrey. Um, 
you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes stays healthy. Maybe he doesn't. But if you if he doesn't, look at the talent that's around you, man. You want to get on a roster that's got some talented players. And uh, that right now, it's Kansas City Chiefs. That'd be, that'd be a good fit. But, again, do you want to back up Patrick Mahomes if you're Baker Mayfield? And he's technically the one who ran you off from, from Texas Tech. I know that's not how it happened. I know. Don't email me. But, uh, you know, he was there first. Mahomes came in. Baker left, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. So, um, he probably won't do that. I'm just saying, get yourself on a team that's lo- that on a on a roster that's loaded. Swallow your pride. Be a backup for a little while until you get your feet under you. Get in a system where you can trust yourself again, because I think that's part of it. Is is he does he does he might not at this stage trust his own skill set. Uh, he's been injured. He's been kicked around. He's been bruised in the media, and the fans are booing him. Does he really trust himself to be that Baker that we knew at Oklahoma? I don't know. Yeah, no, we'll see where he, where he, uh, yeah, what happens for him. Um, we, we, we said this, we absolutely said this, you know, in the, when he went to the Panthers, that that's, that's not going to work. Um, they stink. And Baker has shown at this point that he can, you can win with Baker Mayfield if everything around him is really set up pretty much perfectly. He's good enough to win and, and make a, a, a legitimate run. He almost did that with the Browns. They were that close to getting the AFC championship. But he, he's not good enough to elevate what's a, a, a bad roster. I mean, most quarterbacks wouldn't win on the Panthers. The, the amount of quarterbacks that would win on the Panthers, you can probably count on one hand. But like Ryan said, he hasn't done himself any favors. He hasn't played well. Matt Rule's now fired. By the way, did you see the, the, the betting odds that came out for Matt Rule's next job? And like yeah. the sixth highest odds were Oklahoma. Yeah. What are we doing? I nice see you, Brent. Set your money on fire. <laughs> that's a better usage. Unbelievable. They're not going to fire Brent Venables. Not even that good of odds. 12 to 1. Jeez. If you make that bet and he actually does coach OU for his next job, then like it should be a billion to 1 because that's the only <laughs> yeah. call by you. Sam, Sam was talking on our radio show yesterday that uh, Matt Rule would be a good fit in Texas and that they're going to intentionally tank, kind of like uh, they got people around him at, at Texas like uh, – Arizona State did to uh, Herm Edwards. They're going to people who are going to tank to be able to fire uh, Sark so they can bring in Matt Rule. I'm like, Sam, that's a bit of a reach. I don't think they're going to intentionally tank. Now, you know, it happened at Arizona State. I don't think it's going to happen in Texas. Steve Sarkeesian's got the golden ticket of Arch Manning. That he yep. could, They could have gone 0-12 this year, and Sark probably would have survived because they have Arch yep. Manning committed. And you're not going to risk that. Um, and yours is on campus for another, what, this year and next year. So, yeah. They're yeah. in good shape. They're yeah. in very good shape. He's got something better than a golden ticket. It's a golden hat. It's the first time it's been in the facility for three years. True. Also true. Four yeah, games, Matt Rule, three years. Matt Rule, I don't know. Nebraska, of course, Wisconsin. I mean, he the last time he coached in college, it was going quite well. So he has that in his back pocket. I assume he'll land somewhere Huskers. Uh, nearby soon. Huskers make sense. I think Nebraska should hire Lance Leopold, personally. But um, – Wisconsin, I mean, any any of those uh, make it happen for sure for uh, for Matt Rule. All right, that's it for us. Kansas on Saturday, 11 a.m. start. Actually, even though it's it's kind of just a weird schedule, quirky thing, the fact that this is the fourth 11 a.m. game in the last five weeks for us, but it's the first one at home all year. First 11 a.m. game at home. Actually, OU's first three home games were all at 2.30 or at night, so – um, first time doing the home thing at 11 a.m. We'll get up and get down to Norman. 
down to the stadium. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Uh, I don't know. Who knows what you're getting with this team week to week right now. It's been a long time since you went into every single weekend feeling like Oklahoma absolutely could lose or win. It has, it's been a while since there was like no givens on the schedule, and that's where OU's at right now. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. We'll all be there, like I said. Keep up with allsooners.com. Leading up to the start of that game, tons of preview coverage leading up to the start at 11 a.m. And, of course, the live blog during the game and then after the game, full reaction for Venables, coaches, players, us, game stories, game highlights, the post-game podcast, which we'll record at the stadium, certified fresh, Saturday night. Yankees have a playoff game that night, so I'll be a little distracted, but I will do the podcast and trudge through wrapping up Oklahoma and Kansas. So catch that one on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And of course, you can watch all the podcasts on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, and watch the shows over there. So that's it for now. We'll see you on Saturday from Norman. Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.